right. Well, we are continuing in our series called Life Together. <clears throat> Depending on my voice, this might be a really fast sermon, so I'm sure nobody's going to complain about that if we get to lunch quicker. But <laughs> All right, so we've been doing this series Life Together, and we're talking about what it means to be a disciple. And not only being a disciple personally, but being the kind of person that pours into other people. Jesus called us to go and make disciples. Matthew chapter 28, right? One of the last things that he says to his followers. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. Jesus is about people. He's about people and what he came to do, all the power, all the authority that he has, what he came to do was touch the lives of other people. He loves us. He wants to heal us, forgive us, set us free. He wants to invite us into a real living relationship with him. And so after spending years with his disciples, he said, here's the deal. I'm now leaving you in charge. You go do what you've seen me do. You've seen me love people. You've seen me teach people. You've seen me be patient with people. You've seen me heal people. You've watched the life I've lived in front of you. And ultimately, you've seen the gospel message. You watched me give my life for you. And now you see that I'm standing here today. I rose from the grave. Go and share this good news with the world. And so Jesus' plan to change the world was not for him to get a huge television show and be broadcast to the whole world. It wasn't for him to fly around like Superman and just start showing up in city after city and wowing people with the fact that he had risen from the dead. That's not what he did. He didn't use his power that way. He laid his life down and then he passed on that same kind of power to his followers and said, you're now gonna lay your lives down to share this hope and this life and this truth with others. So that's Jesus' call to us. And so what we've been kind of studying together the last couple of weeks, two weeks ago we looked at what is a disciple? How, how is it defined? And so very simply, Jesus kind of defines it a little bit when he called um, some fishermen the very first time he interacted with them. And so in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, you know, we use this imagery of the triangle to help us remember this. So if, if later sometime you're ever trying to remember what is a disciple again? You can get out a napkin, you get a pencil, draw a little triangle and hopefully remember these three words. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus. It's a person that's being changed by Jesus. And it's a person that's on mission with Jesus. That's what we see from this simple verse. Jesus said, come follow me. That requires them following, walking with a living, real person that's standing there. They didn't follow ideas they didn't follow a code. They didn't follow a book or a list of rules. They followed a person, Jesus Christ. And that's what we're called to do today, to follow the living Jesus who's alive and he loves us. Secondly, he says, I'm going to do something with you. I'm going to turn you into something. I'm going to make you into a person who fishes for other people. That is going to be very different than the life that you've lived. These, these guys that he's talking to, think about this. They've been working all night. They've been sweating. They've been fishing. I mean, it's hard to imagine 
a more foul thing than a guy who's been sweating all night and, oh, by the way, felt, smells like fish too. Ugh, right? Like, disgusting. And he's talking to those kind of guys and he's saying, you're the kind of person now that's going to fish for other people. That's probably the opposite of what they've experienced. When the local fisherman walks into town, okay, I'm just going to kind of come over here. But Jesus says, you're going to become the kind of person that people are going to be drawn to. And notice he says, I'll make you into that. The process of being changed involves us being willing to follow and say yes to him. But it's a miracle that God does in us that we can't do for ourselves. So he changes us. And then finally, he says, you're going to be on mission with me. You're going to do the same thing I'm doing. You're going to draw other people to Jesus. And so that's what a disciple is. It's someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is on mission with him. And so then last week, we began to talk about what will it look like as we start deciding, I'm willing to be on mission with Jesus. I'm willing to be the kind of person that's going to pour into other people's lives. I'm in. And whether you know this or not, I just want you to hear two things this morning. You personally are called to be a disciple and you're qualified. Jesus says you have what it takes because I'm going to be with you and I'm going to lead you and I'm going to guide you. You have what it takes. Start where you are. Do you have a friend? Do you have a spouse? Do you have kids? Do you have coworkers? Do you have neighbors? You're qualified. There are people in your life that you can influence for Jesus' kingdom. And so we began to talk about what that process will look like. And so we've got this little kind of wheel we're going to pop up here. And, and the process, the scripture uses the example over and over and over again of spiritual growth being aligned with physical growth. Paul talks to people, hey, you're like an infant right now. You just need milk. Jesus talked about us coming with the heart of a child and learning eagerly like a child and growing. The New Testament writers begin to talk about people who mature and start moving into adulthood. And so this is a process that we go through where when someone first hears about Jesus, they're dead. And the simplest thing that a dead person needs is to be made alive. They need to meet Jesus and become born again. In the same way a child gets birthed into this world, we must be born again. And then from there, we start out as an infant. We don't know anything. We're a baby. And so last week we talked about some of the things that... that First, physically, a human being needs at each of these phases of life. What does an infant need? Constant care, constant help. They need to be fed. They need their diaper changed. They need to be loved like crazy. What does a young child need? Well, they still need a lot of that love and attention, but they start to do more and more on their own. They eat more solid foods. They begin to feed themselves. They learn to walk. And so we encourage them along the way. And then a young adult, they begin to take all these things they learned as a child and they start to own them. They begin to make them their own. They begin to step out on their own. We begin to release them into more and more freedom. That freedom means they might fail sometimes, but that's okay. We give people room and space and freedom to fail. And then finally, we mature to a place where we become a parent. And we talked about the fact that often this can be a place where we, we stop as a disciple. Like we recognize our need to grow. I'm an infant, I'm hungry, I'm starving for Jesus. I love him. He's come into my life and changed me. It's amazing. I want to learn about him. I want to get to know him better. And we begin to grow. But often we feel unqualified to be a parent, a spiritual parent in somebody else's life. But the truth is I have not met an adult yet 
that has kids that felt qualified when they became a parent? Anybody in here? Not me. I wasn't ready. Go for it. Jump in. It's worth it. In fact, the truth is Jesus will use you becoming a spiritual parent to continue your growth and your maturity. There's things Jesus wants to do in your life as a disciple that you won't experience until you start pouring into somebody else's life. And through that process, you will find yourself following him in a whole new way. You'll find yourself being changed by him in a whole new way as you pour into the lives of others. And ultimately you'll discover, oh man, like for the first time, I'm really, I'm on mission with Jesus. He's using me. I'm getting to watch somebody else's life and it's amazing. And I get to be a part of that. And so that's the invitation of what Jesus is inviting us into. So the last two weeks, here's what we really did. What we really did was we kind of drew a map and we said, there's the target. That's what a, that's what a disciple looks like. And then we, we looked at this process. We said, that's kind of a roadmap. That's what it would look like to help me in walking through life with somebody else and encouraging them along the way and kind of looking for where they may be in their walk with Jesus and just encouraging them to grow to that next step, that next spot. If they're an infant, I'm not trying to push them to parenthood. I'm encouraging them to childhood. What's that next phase look like? So this is the process. Now, here's one of the most crucial parts, and this is what we're gonna talk about this morning. One of the most crucial parts is understanding my role, the part that I play in the life of someone else that I'm encouraging to walk with Jesus. And if we miss this, if we don't get this, we're in for a world of trouble. Listen, if you haven't figured this out yet, we've talked about this about every week. Life gets messy with people, it just does. And so often along the way, it gets really messy because we start trying to do the wrong part. I start trying to do God's part. I want to make that person change. Come on, you can do it. Let's go. And I begin to take too much control that isn't meant for me to control. Or maybe I'm trying too much to do their part. I'm trying to walk for them. I'm trying to pull them along before they're ready. And it's actually stunning their growth. I'm not allowing them to stand up and walk on their own two feet. They have to choose to be in. And so we're just going to spend 15, 20 minutes talking about this this morning. What are the different parts of discipleship? So we can go ahead and put that slide up, Alex. Um, there's three parts in the discipleship process. There is their part. That's the person that you're spending time with. This could be your child. This could be a person that comes to maybe a home group at your house. It could just be a friend of yours that you're loving on, pouring into. It could be a coworker or a neighbor. It's somebody in your life that God has given you influence in their life, a voice in their life. They play a part in the discipleship process. They have to decide, first of all, to say yes. I can't disciple somebody that doesn't want to be discipled. I can't force someone to start following Jesus that's not interested. So they play their part. There's God's part. Now, this is a really good moment to pause and say, these circles are not drawn to scale. All right, God is not just a third of the importance in this. He's probably like 98%. He's probably actually like 99.8% and we're like 0.1% and the other person's part is 0.1%. God's part is massive, it's huge. There's all kinds of things that God is doing in his part. I wanna take a look at this because I think it's really gonna help us understand 
how much we need to let God do when we're involved in the discipleship process. And so in John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's letting them know, this is, this is kind of the night before he gives his life on the cross and he's letting them know, you're gonna have some things to walk out and to fulfill and to do. And I wanna tell you what that's gonna look like and what you're gonna need to do it. And so he says to them in John chapter 14, verse 15, excuse me. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, this isn't meant to be a manipulative statement. In fact, we see further down, he talks more about his love relationship with his followers. He says, listen, this is just how you do it. This is how you love me. You walk through life with me. You hear me speaking to you. You follow what I'm saying. It's a way you express your love back to me. I'm inviting you into this relationship. And so you're going to obey my commandments. Now notice what he immediately says next after he tells them to keep his commandments. Verse 16, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Check this out. Jesus is telling disciples, hey, you're going to have a part to play. You're going to need to obey. You're going to need to follow me. You're going to need to do some things I'm asking you to do. But guess what? You're not on your own. I'm going to be with you. There is a father who loves you and he's going to give you what you need. His Holy Spirit is going to come and you can invite his spirit into your life and look at some of the things the spirit is going to do. He's a helper. Anybody feel like they need any help in their walk with the Lord? Amen, man, my hand is up all the time. And I definitely need help if I'm trying to encourage other people. I mean, parents, you ever felt like you just needed massive help in your relationship with your kids? Like every day. We need help. Well, God is there to give us the help that we need. Look what he says. I'm with you forever. I mean, I mean you guys know, you can relate to those seasons where you just feel like you're at the end of your rope. Like, I don't know if I can hold on anymore. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Can I really keep doing this? And he just looks at you and says, I'm still with you. That hasn't changed. I haven't gone anywhere. Hang in there. I'll help you. I'm with you forever. Check this out. That Holy Spirit that's in you, he calls in the spirit of truth. When things get cloudy and you're not sure what to say and you're not sure what to do, the Holy Spirit will come and he'll bring truth. He'll lead you into truth. So he brings truth. He brings help. And then finally, he says, he dwells in you. He's with you. He's ever present. The scripture goes on, verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You know, isn't that so interesting? Again, it's that language of being like a child. And in our relationship with the Lord, he's like a father and he guides us. And then when he places us in other people's lives and we become spiritual parents, we are understanding this principle. We're not meant to be left on our own. We are designed to be in relationship with God and with each other. And so God's heart is that he won't leave people as orphans. There's people in your life right now that God's saying, hey, I want you to step up and be a spiritual mother or a spiritual father in that person's life. I want you to share some of my heart and just know you're joining with me. You're not doing this on your own. This is my part. 
I'm the perfect father. In fact, I love them like a mother. You know, the scripture talks about how he longs to gather us like a mother hen gathers her chicks. We often regularly use the terminology of father. That's what we see mostly in scripture. But God is our parent, mother and father. He fulfills all of those roles in our lives. And so he comes and does that. He says, listen, yet a little while and the world will see me no more. Jesus is talking about his physical presence on the earth. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He's inviting us into this beautiful relationship. He's saying, hey, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit already have that interconnected relationship. We're invited into it. And we get to experience God's relational love in our lives. And then we begin to pour into the lives of others. It's God's love that's operating in us towards that person. And then finally, verse 21 Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest or show myself to him. See, if we opt in to this growing relationship with Jesus, and then we begin to say yes in our own lives to participating with him, to being on mission with him, to discipling other people, Jesus shows up. We're going to see Jesus in whole new, fresh ways in our lives when we are willing to join him in the mission that he's on. Yes, I can see Jesus operating in my life right here. But when I begin to interact more and more with the people he's placed in my life around me and I intentionally begin to pour into other people, I'm going to see Jesus show up in fresh new ways that we never saw existed. For me, one of the first times I really experienced this in my life was as a 19, almost 20-year-old kid. And um, I had been on this journey for about a year, year and a half, where God was just like calling me into a real relationship with him. I'd grown up in the church. I knew him. High school, you know, I'd kind of drifted a little bit, wasn't really walking that closely with him. And I really just reached a point in life where I just had to decide, like, God, do I really believe that you're real? And like, you love me and you want a relationship with me. And he began to invite me into that relationship. And it was amazing. I mean, I'd find myself in my bedroom listening to worship music, studying the Bible, and just seeing Jesus talking to me all the time. It was awesome. But something began to shift in me where there was this thing in my heart that just felt like it had to burst out, like it had to go somewhere. And I didn't know it at the time, but what Jesus was doing is he was calling me to start sharing with other people what God had done in my life. But see, I'm just, I'm this kid. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm immature. Who am I to share things with people? And so I remember going to my pastor, Pastor Steve. He's, he's the pastor at our church back in Franklin. And I remember going to him after a little mission trip we did. And I just said, Pastor Steve, will you, will you mentor me, disciple me? I don't even know what the right words are, but like, can I come hang out with you? Is basically what I said. And he's like, Sure. And so I began to spend time with him about once a week. And we did that for several months. And so one day, probably five or six months into that, I go into his office and sit down and he looks at me and I'm now this 20 year old kid. And he says, hey, what would you think about teaching the middle school Sunday school class on Sunday mornings? Now our church at that time was just like this. It was a few more people in this. We had about maybe 150 people come in, 200 people coming on a Sunday morning. We were in a school gym and middle school Sunday school class meant walk down the hallway, get metal folding chairs, get them in a circle, and me and about eight kids would do a Bible study together. And I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, you think I can do this? I'm 20, I don't know anything. I'm like, well, if you think I can, I'll do it. 
And it was amazing to watch as I just said, yes, okay, I'll try. How God started showing up and all these things I didn't know how to do, wasn't sure how to say. He used a person in my life, like Pastor Steve, to guide me. But the Lord guided me. And the Holy Spirit was there with me. And he was helping me in that little class setting to talk to these kids and to tell them about Jesus and to learn how to be in relationship with them. God did his part. My part was just to kind of say yes and show up. And so I just want to encourage you, if you opt in to be on this mission with Jesus and to begin to pour into the lives of other people, you are not alone. God can do his part. God will do his part. And in fact, if you don't let him do his part, you're just getting in the way. He is 98% of it. Now, that doesn't minimize your role. If you are just 1% of the process, you need to be 100% responsible to do your 1%. Letting God do his part doesn't mean I'm disengaged. And so I want to take about maybe five more minutes here and talk about some things that our part will look like. It's small, but it's vital. First of all, what do I need to give up in order to disciple somebody else? If we don't see these two pieces, we're in for a world of frustration and just banging our head against the wall and making no progress. We're going to hurt the other person and we're going to hurt ourselves. The two things that we have got to give up if we're going to opt in and disciple other people. Number one, I need to give up control. I need to give up control. Now, that may seem fairly obvious to you, but it's actually not. In fact, most of what discipleship looks like in our culture, it very quickly starts turning into legalism, where the person in authority is giving all this direction and all this instruction and all this guidance that really quickly turns into control. And there's a lot of churches and a lot of leaders that get out of balance because they're trying to control people. You have to give up control. God is on the throne. I'm not. Now, the beauty of this is it's incredibly freeing to give up control. The challenge in this is it's difficult when the other person just isn't changing like they're supposed to. They're just not doing their part. I'm just trying to help them. We have to set people free to do their part. And we have to trust God that he is in control. Let him be on the throne. So we have to give up control. Second, we have to give up the need for credit. I don't need to get any credit for discipling this person. Now, this might seem fairly simple and, oh, I wouldn't need credit. But listen, I'll give you some examples of some times where you might be surprised. As a youth pastor for a lot of years, I can't tell you how many times I would have a conversation with a parent where their, their child would go home and their child would talk about this brilliant thing they just heard from Pastor Jake at church. And it was the thing the parent had been telling them for the last five years, every day, over and over and over again. And it's like, what was so brilliant about what Jake said? I've been telling you that for five years. The truth is, you were telling them that for five years. And that was getting seeded in and sewn in and God was using it. And then when they were finally ready to hear it, God used maybe this other person who shouldn't get as much credit because they haven't invested the time or the energy and they show up and something happens. Now, I've also experienced that on the other end. I remember... Um, watching kids and pouring into their lives and being a part of them. And there'd be guys that would be like in a small group with me for like four years all through high school. And there's this incredible ministry our church partners with called Narrowgate. And 
they pour into the lives of young men, like 18 to 25, and they do this intensive wilderness, nine-month discipleship thing with them. And I can remember watching kids that I'd known for four years that would then go into Narrowgate when they graduated, and they'd have this incredible experience, and they'd come out, and they were just, they were just excited and crediting like Narrowgate for all this incredible work they'd done in their lives to disciple them. And like some of the things they're saying are things I'd been teaching them for four years. And now I was like in the place of the parents. I'm like, wait a minute, I told you that. Wait a minute, I helped you with that. It's, it's so subtle how our pride creeps in, even when we wouldn't think it's there. When we are pouring into somebody else's life, it is not for our benefit. It is for their benefit. We have to be willing to give up the need to control, and we've got to be willing to give up the need to receive credit. It's for him. It's for his kingdom. It's for that person and their life. The goal is to get them to follow Jesus, not to get them to follow me. A disciple is not defined by the human being they follow. A disciple is defined by a person that follows Jesus. So give up control, give up credit. Now, what do I bring? Even though I have to give those things up, there's things that I need to bring. I want to highlight two things specifically that we bring. The first thing is we bring intentionality. I need to be intentional. Discipleship does happen whether we know it or not. Whether you realize it or not, you are influencing people's lives. You are impacting the people around you. But if you're truly going to disciple people for Jesus, for his kingdom, it requires being intentional. It requires recognizing that you're doing it, choosing to do it, opting in. I'm not going to control them. I don't care if I get credit, but I'm going to give my time. It's going to require time. I'm going to use my talent. God has gifted you and made you in a very specific, unique way. And he's placed you in relationships that none of the rest of us have. You've got to choose to opt in with your time and with your talent. It might even cost you some resource at times. That resource could be financial. Time actually itself is a resource, but it's going to cost you something to, to intentionally spend time with people. But opt in. You can bring that. You can intentionally bring time. The second thing that you bring to the table as your part is not just being intentional with your time. It's giving specific attention. Here's what I mean by this. I want to give you one example of being in a relationship with someone and helping them grow. You can give your attention by being attentive to them, hearing them, listening to them. See, often I think being a disciple maker means I got to have a whole bunch of stuff that I'm ready to teach and to tell them. But actually, being a good discipler is being a person who can listen well. Think how often Jesus asked questions when he encountered people. We're going to look at a story here for just a second. It's the story of the rich young ruler, and we're going to see this kind of take place. This young guy comes before Jesus and runs him down. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This guy's like ready to be discipled. Jesus, you're this good teacher. You're amazing. Will you help me? Will you disciple me? And the first thing Jesus does is he, he doesn't get all excited and rub his hands together and be like, all right, I got a live one here. I got a guy that's excited and ready to go. Let me bust out one of my favorite teachings. Hmm, do we go parable of the sower? Do I just launch into the Beatitudes here? What do I do? 
No, watch the first thing Jesus does. Mark 10, 18. Jesus said, why do you call me good? Jesus is actually trying to get to know this guy. What's going on in your life? What's going on in your heart? Why are you calling me good? He asks questions and he does this all the time with people. He would interact with people and he would ask them questions. We need to give people our attention. I have to have a desire to get to know them, not just tell them all the stuff I know. And if we will practice this attitude of giving them our attention and listening, then the second thing we can do with our attention is we can give them time in our prayer life. The person that I'm going to pour into, whatever amount of time I think I'm going to spend talking to them about what I have to say, I should spend way more time than that praying to God about them. And so what I do, can we put the circles back up there, Alex? So what I do in this relationship is here, my part and their part. I'm getting to know them. I'm in relationship with them. I'm hearing their heart. I'm beginning to hear where they are. I'm listening to things that they say. I'm not judging them, but I'm, I'm beginning to understand where are they on that discipleship wheel? Are they saying the kind of things that let me know they don't even know Jesus yet? So I just need to pray for them to get born again and start talking to God about how I can share Jesus with them so they can get born again. Or maybe I'm listening to them and getting to know them. I'm discovering, oh, they're kind of in that child stage. They're learning to walk a little bit. Cool. Like they need some encouragement to step out a little bit more and to, to, to grow a little bit more. That's what they need. So I begin to listen to where they are. Then I go and I begin to talk to God because he's doing his part. Even when I'm not around, he's doing stuff in their lives. And so I go to God and now here I'm talking to God about what I've been hearing. God, I'm hearing them say this. They're facing this in their life. This is what they're going through. This is where they are. God, would you meet them? Would you talk to them? Would you help them? Would you grow them? God, would you help me to understand how I can love them best? God, is there something you want me to say to them? I want to give you a visual image for this relationship and the discipleship process. Picture a satellite and the way a satellite works. A satellite is sending and receiving signal in between two different things. So if I've got DirecTV, right, they're sending out a signal somewhere from their, their main hub and they're beaming it up to a satellite and it's out here receiving it. And then it's sending down that signal to my receiver at home. This is the role we can play as a disciple maker. I'm listening and receiving from that other person. And now I'm taking that to the Lord. God, here's this person. Here's where they're at. I'm praying about them to God, talking to him about them. And then I'm listening. Maybe there's something God wants to say through me back to them. And so I'm letting God do his part. I'm letting that person be where they are. And I'm looking for how I can fit in with my time, with my attention. How can I pray for them? And then Lord, are there specific things I should say? Maybe God's going to call me to encourage them in an area. Maybe he's going to call me to challenge them in an area. Maybe he just wants me to like shut up and listen for a while, be a listening ear in their lives. But see, I can get that kind of guidance because I'm letting God be in control and I'm, I'm, I'm staying out of the way, but I'm engaged. Y'all see the importance of that? See, it's really easy when we think about letting God have control, we can become disengaged. No, no, no. we need to be present, but we let God do his part. And so we practice listening to both parties. See, here's the real goal here. The real goal is to help that person gain understanding 
not to help me gain control. The more they understand who they are and the relationship God is inviting them into, the more they understand that, I'm, I'm, I can help this, this handoff, this exchange take place where it's like, okay, God, here's your hand. Here's their hand. Boom, go. Walk with him. Follow him. Hear his voice in your life. And they step more and more into understanding what it means to be a mature adult believer who loves Jesus and is walking with him and that is impacting the world around them. It's amazing to step back and watch. You guys ever watch the show Shark Tank? Love that show. I've gotten kind of hooked on it. My girls have actually gotten me hooked on it. We watched this episode the other night and there was this 16-year-old girl with this incredible idea that she pitches to, to the sharks and they bought the idea. It was amazing. And she just, she communicated so well. She worked so hard. She just did it. And what, what was amazing to me is her parents didn't come out with her. And the whole time we're watching, my wife and I are just thinking like, you know, her parents are just these incredible parents and they've got to be so proud of her. But they released her to step into owning what she was doing. And because they had released her to step into that, she had understanding of who she was, of what her job was and how to communicate it. And at the end of the episode, she runs to the back and there's her dad. And she gives him a big hug and he's just going, I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. That was incredible. And just gives her a big hug and a big kiss. Now, you know, he had worked long and hard helping his daughter grow and mature. But his goal wasn't to have a puppet that was just going to walk next to him and do everything he said all the time. He helped her grow into who God was calling her to be. And she stepped into that place and he got to celebrate it and cheer it on. That's our job as a disciple maker, to come alongside people, to encourage them, to pray for them, to be attentive and intentional in their lives, to, to be involved in talking to the Lord about that person and listening to what the Lord would say to that person. And when he asks us to speak, be willing to speak. See, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap this up pretty quickly here, but this particular example I'm using this morning, this person didn't follow through with their part. And that can be heartbreaking. But see, Jesus understood the, the person's part, his part, and the part the, the Lord would pray, play. And so the story goes on. Jesus says, why do you call me good? They have some interaction back and forth. And then after some conversation, you know, where this guy seems to have it all together, he's been following the commandments, he's a good guy. Mark 10, 21. Then Jesus, looking at him, see, Jesus is giving him his attention. Looking at him, he loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now I want you to notice some things that are happening here. Number one, Jesus says a hard thing. Can we all agree that's a hard thing? Go sell everything you have and follow me. Now I'm not sure about you, but when I said yes to Jesus and gave my life to him, I didn't hear him say, go sell everything and follow me. I'm, I'm kind of thankful for that. He may say that to me at some point in time. I didn't hear him say that. That'd be a hard ask. But he said that to this person. He said a hard thing. But notice what all is attached to it. He looked at the guy. He was attentive. He cared about him. It was personal. And he loved him. He said the hard thing out of love. There may be times where we're called to say something hard or challenging to someone, but we say it in love for the person. We say it because we care about the person. And we're not just repeating the same thing to everybody. 
Did Jesus walk up to every single person he interacted with and say, go sell everything you have and then follow me? No. He said different things to different people because he was involved in their lives. He was attentive and he loved them personally. And he said to them what they needed to hear. And the only way we can do that is by walking with the Lord ourselves, by praying, by listening to him, and then saying what needs to be said. And then look how the story goes. As much as it's sad, Jesus freed this guy to be himself and make a choice. And in verse 22, it tells us the guy's response. He was disheartened by the saying, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This outcome was sad, but Jesus freed that guy to make a choice himself. The beauty is, when someone chooses on their own to say yes, it sticks because they've opted in. They weren't manipulated into it. They weren't pushed into it. They weren't forced into it. They heard truth. They heard love. They heard an invitation. And then they get to choose to say, I'm in. Or they could say, you know what? That's too hard. I'm out. That's their part, to listen and to respond. And then Jesus wraps the whole story up, talking to his disciples. And I want to close with this. His disciples are discouraged because they were looking at that guy and going, man, he had it together. He was a good dude. He was wealthy. He was doing all the right things. And he can't be a disciple. What hope have we? And Jesus looked at them and he said in, in verse 27, he looked at them and he said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. When we do this with God at the center and him in control, he's participating in the process. With him, it is possible to follow what he commands, to be changed and transformed by him, and for us to decide to be on mission with him and watch what happens in other people's lives. That's the opportunity that's in front of us. We trust God to do his part, because he will. We free other people to do their part, and I commit to doing my part, giving up control, giving up the need for credit, and deciding I'm gonna be intentional in my relationships and I'm going to give people the attention that they need. That's my part to play. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your incredible love for us. God, we thank you that you are alive. We thank you that you've returned to the Father and you've given us your Holy Spirit. God, I thank you that we don't do this on our own. God, first of all, you're in our lives. We're called to follow you personally. You're inviting us to hear you speaking into our lives. You're inviting us to obey you and follow you, to watch you change and transform us. And Jesus, you're inviting us to be on mission with you, to be a part of watching you touch other people's lives. And so God, I pray that we would choose to intentionally do life together with other people. God, that we would opt in to being a part of the discipleship process, wherever we may be in our own walk. And God, that we would be willing to do our part, to free other people to do their part, and God, to trust you to bring the miracle, to trust your presence to come, to touch, to heal, to lead, to guide, to help, to speak truth, to bring comfort. God, the list just goes on and on all through the scripture of what you do for us. Jesus, help us to follow you, our living Savior, and help us to encourage other people along the way as they learn to follow you as their Savior as well. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.